All right. So I was thinking about it this week as far as what we're looking at. And I was thinking about one word, and it's the word priorities. Priorities. That word is a strong word. And if somebody sits down with you and they ask you the question, what are your priorities in life? That is a profound question. I mean, that's a question that makes us dig deep, really analyze ourselves, uh, kind of put together our, our, our scope of values and the things we most care about. And I think if you were asked that question, you might have a list that would be different than mine, different than the person sitting across from you or next to you or whatever. I mean, the list would be different. But when I look at the Sermon on the Mount and I see Jesus' words, he does something pretty profound. He goes straight to our core and what he communicates to us in the section we're going to look at today is that when it comes to the question of what are your priorities, Jesus will say, fundamentally boiled down, taken to their absolute furthest extreme, in life we only have one of two priorities. That's it. He says, let me do you a favor. Everybody only has one, and then you have to choose between this priority or this priority. Because everything else is going to fall into one of those two choices. And, and he's going to go so far as to say, and, newsflash, we can't say, well, both are a priority. He's going to say, no, 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 you, you just have to land. It's this, or it's this. And so with all that said, if you have a Bible or a Bible app, you can open up to the Gospel of Matthew. That's the first book of the New Testament. And we are in chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, and we are starting in verse 19. And we're going to move quick today because, man, we've got a lot to do. Uh, I, I really don't even believe we're going to make it to verse 34. We'll see. All right? Um, I want to, but I don't always get what I want. All right? Thank you, Mom. You were right. All right. So, one of two priorities. This is what Jesus is getting at, right? He wants us to land on one of these two priorities. So in verse 19, he is blunt and he says, don't. Don't. I know that's a buzzkill, right? Don't. We don't like don't. We like do. We like go. He says, don't and stop. He says, don't store up treasures here on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. He says, store up your treasure in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Now, some of us look at this right now and we want to impose on this text something that it isn't quite addressing. We'll look at this and we'll say, oh, it's about storing up treasures on earth. Oh, that's about greed or that's purely about money. And then we'll think about our bank account and we'll say, I'm clearly not treasuring, right? So this can't be me. <clears throat> That's not the case. When Jesus talks about storing up treasures, what he's talking about is just anything we treasure. Anything we treasure. Whatever we most want, those can be treasures. Whatever we most fear happening, therefore we try to protect, those can be treasures. Treasures can be money, certainly, but treasures can also be um, our reputation, our family, our uh, job, uh, the people we care about. I mean, I, I don't want us to narrow what Jesus is getting at here because he really wants to dry out, draw out a dichotomy and we have to be open to the reality that, in fact, we may suffer from treasuring in this world more than we treasure 
in heaven. And so don't, again, like I said, narrow the scope and say, well, this has just got to be about finances. That's not true. Because when you think about treasures, again, it's anything we give our time to. It's anything we put our talents toward. It's anything that we might fret about if it went away. It's any place that we put the lion's share of our investment into. Whatever we say, I won't be comfortable unless I have this. I won't be content unless I own this. I will not be fulfilled unless this is a part of my life. Those things all run the risk of being treasures to us. And I'll tell you why this particular section of Jesus' words is so important to us. It's real simple. We're Americans. We're Americans. Now, I don't say that to slight that we're Americans. What I'm saying is, basically what Jesus is about to preach on, this affects all of us pretty practically. Real practically. I did that inventory. You're going to go through some of the inventory I did this week, and I was getting very freaked out about my own life, where I start looking around going, man, there's a treasure, there's a treasure, there's a treasure, there's a treasure. And I'm not sure I'm leveraging all those treasures for the right things. See, we are in a very comfortable place. I mean, we are in the most affluent nation the world has ever seen. We have every conceivable comfort. We have the best medicine. We have the best food. We have the best options. We have some of the best uh, opportunities for education to make life all the better, and by that, risk more treasures here. And so I, I don't want us to just shut down and say, well, you know, again, it's for the rich. No, it's not. It's for all of us. All of us. And, and in this, I, I, I think we want to be asking really, really important questions of ourselves. Like, uh, what is it that I most crave? Do I want the abundant life that Jesus talks about? Or do I seem to strive for the abundance life? Because there's a difference. Abundant life and abundance life. In fact, sometimes the more we strive for abundance life, the more we're robbed of abundant life. Or, or sometimes, even as Christians, we have more of a love of this life and a deep fear of death because we're attached to this. We're nervous about that. Matter of fact, even some... I, I remember talking to like teenagers when I was in youth ministry... And they'd be like, I want to go to heaven, but it sounds like a real downer. And you know what? I think well, that's how we see it. It's like, great, I'm going to be fat in a diaper, playing a little harp, or shooting an arrow. That's a drag. I don't want to do that. I'm potty trained, man. I don't need that, you know? That's not heaven. But we think, no, here has got cooler stuff. Here has better treasures. Here is far more fascinating than there. And so that's the challenge. I mean, I looked at this in my own life and I said, yeah, that's exactly what I struggle with. And yet Jesus tells us in great grace, with great love and care for us, he says, stop. Stop pursuing the abundance life. Start pursuing the abundant life. This will rob you. This will reward you. This will grieve you. This will bring you joy. So stop, he says. He doesn't even find middle ground. He doesn't say, try to wed them together. He says, stop. And he says stop for a few reasons. The first reason he says stop is because basically it's a bad investment. I mean, if you're just a financial-minded person and you look at things and go, man, what's the best way I can invest? Well, the best way you can invest is for the long term, right? I mean, long-term investment's good. Short-term investment, eh, kind of reckless. 
And Jesus says, okay, let's, let's see what we're looking at. You can store up treasures on this planet, and if you're lucky, you might hit a hundred. You might go George Burns, smoke a cigar, have a good time, party it up. But that's it, hundred years. Your best effort. That's a short-term investment. He says, if you want to be a really good investor and really have it pay off, make it eternal, make it a heavenly investment. That goes forever. Forever. He says, so we're just talking good investing. That's the number one thing. The second thing is, he says, entropy is relentless. Right? You're going to have little bugs that destroy your stuff. You're going to have rust. Welcome to Seattle. You're going to have rust. I bought a barbecuer last year, right? I covered it. Kept it all nice and secure all winter long. Pulled it off. Rust. How is that? Rain goes up underneath to my barbecuer. Rust. Destroys. And I go, you know what I paid for that? And then I go, you know what it's worth now? Nothing. Rust. Destruction. Everything comes apart. Everything decays. Everything loses value. I mean, think about it. There was a time where you went to, you know, whatever it was, Macy's or whatever, and you saw the perfect shirt, and it was $100. And you said, I need to have that. And then what happens? I see it at Value Village for 5 bucks, right? I mean, it's that simple. You even left the tag. You didn't even wear it. That's what drives me nuts, right? Like, look, they bought it for 100 bucks, and I'm getting it for 5 Sucker. Right? Because everything loses value. In fact, the only time things gain value is if you die. That's weird, right? You have it, you hold on to it for a long time, it becomes an antique when you become a corpse. That's not good. So Jesus says, why, why are you investing there? Because again, everything is going to deteriorate. Everything is going to break. Everything is going to fall apart. And then what doesn't suffer from decay, well, don't worry, there's thieves. There's people. You know, we worry about the redistribution of wealth. Well, it's going to happen, Jesus says. Because somebody is always on the take. Somebody's always wanting to steal. And, and we, we try to fix that. We love to give ourselves certain assurances. We go, well, it's okay because my money's in savings. Uh-huh. You're cute, right? Uh, well, don't worry. There's the Securities Commission. Uh-huh. They're awesome. They bring great security. You say, well, I have a safe. Well, that's great. I had some friends that had a safe, and when the thieves broke in, they took the safe, right? They just tore it right out of the floor and went out the front door, right? Doesn't help. You say, I have insurance. I have life insurance. I have health insurance. You know what? That's death insurance and sick insurance. It's not even life and health, all right? It's they're insured if you don't die or get sick. They get money. You don't. You have to get sick or die, all right? Not good. And so Jesus looks at all this and he says, well, why do we make these investments? Why do we say this is the treasure over this is the treasure? And, and again, as I, I share all of this, I know, I know I'm American and I have a wife and I have kids and I like to do things. And so, again, as much as this may confront you, it boldly confronts me because it reminds me of the fact that, again, I really only have one choice to make kind of like the road goes like this, and I just have to choose the path, because that's what Jesus says. And so the first path is to love stuff as treasure on earth. It's just to love stuff as treasure on earth. There it is, right there. Look at those green envy eyeballs right there, where we just look at our world. 
And I want that, and I want that, and I want that, and I want that, and I'm going to live it up big, and he who dies with the most toys wins, and I'm going to do that. And you can. You can. You can chase it all. And, and don't think again, what I'm saying is that means you want to be rich. It just means this world is better. I'm more excited about this rock floating in space. I'm more excited about all the opportunities, all the challenges, all of the beauties of this world. And so I love the stuff of this world. I get excited about it. I get passionate about it. I fret about it. I'm consumed regarding it. Because when I look at my own life, I, I, I think that's me sometimes. I just like the stuff of earth. Even because I worry about the stuff of earth. Because I, 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 I get a little anxious or panicky if I, I don't foresee things are going to go right pertaining to the stuff of earth. Now, I would love to be able to say, that's not me, I'm immune. But what I do, and where my mind goes, reveals the real me. Again, it's never going to be what we say. We're all going to want to say, no, 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 I'm, 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 not, I'm not greedy, I'm not, I'm not into stuff. But the only thing that tells the truth is what we do. It's not what we say. In fact, sometimes we want to convince ourselves of things that aren't necessarily true because it makes us feel better. And so we need to look. Am I in love with the stuff of this earth that is my treasure? Or do I want to leverage stuff for treasure in heaven? Do I want to leverage stuff? See, as we're going to see in a minute, uh, it doesn't mean you can't have the stuff. It doesn't mean you can't enjoy the stuff. Doesn't mean you can't share the stuff. Doesn't mean you can't acquire the stuff. Whatever the stuff is. But what it means is you take all of the stuff and you leverage it for the kingdom. You use all of the stuff for the glory of God. You use all the stuff for the gospel of Christ. You use all of the stuff to walk in the spirit by sharing this stuff and passing out the stuff and inviting people to enjoy your stuff, right? That's the stuff. That's what we want to do. And you can leverage all of the stuff for treasure in heaven. You can. I mean, this is one of the things I loved about watching Tim Tebow. I was very convinced he just wanted to leverage the stuff for the kingdom. He was very overt. He was so overt, in fact, he was criticized and persecuted. There's a lot of Christian athletes. But he uniquely was that guy where everybody went, wow, he, it's not about football for him, and it's not about fame, and it's not about the money. It's not about the stuff. He just uses the stuff for the kingdom. He leverages it for eternity. Tim Tebow is an investor. And he invests in secure places. And so that's what I love about that very idea. Now, does this mean if you leverage here on earth or you love the treasures of this earth and you don't leverage for heaven uh, that you're not a Christian? It doesn't mean that. I mean, again, understand, we are saved by the good news of Jesus, by his gospel. That's how we're saved, right? And so we're going to heaven if we're in Jesus. Now what we're talking about is the quality of eternity that we will live in heaven with Jesus. There is this thing known as rewards. Those rewards are divvied out for how we live life. You're still going to heaven. But the quality, the experience, the exposure of heaven will be different for some versus others based on this. And you may say, you know what, it, it doesn't matter. As long as I go to heaven, that's all that matters. So it's like somebody saying, as long as I make it to the United States, I don't care if I live in a cardboard box on the sidewalk. As long as I'm in the States. 
But when you have all sorts of opportunity that you could have in the United States, you wouldn't be content to just be in a box on a sidewalk. So in the same way, we should look at our opportunities for heaven and say, man, how do I make right investments? So I can experience everything that heaven has to offer. This is why Jesus says, man, weigh your priorities. In fact, to weigh the priorities, we have to go deeper, according to Jesus. We have to look at one of two investors, right? Because an investor says, here's the priority. This is where I put the energy, the time, the money, the whatever to see this accomplished. And so there are two investors according to Jesus. Verse 21, he says, wherever your treasure is, there the desire of your heart will also be. Right? We live from the interior. The heart is what directs. The heart is like a scope. All right? It's got the crosshairs. It is a scope. And the heart is looking for a, a, a target. Right? Say, this is what I'm shooting for. This is what I'm aiming at. This is what I seek in my field of vision. I want this. That's what the heart does. That's all the heart's designed to do. It hones everything down. That's why there's some things you're really passionate about and some things you don't care about. And then you meet another person and they're passionate about the stuff you don't give a rip about. Right? Because your heart is zeroed in on what matters. Theirs has done the same. And so Jesus says, man, you need to look at the investment of the heart, where the heart desires to invest. And again, the heart, it don't lie. It may be broken, but it doesn't lie. You, you start looking at your heart and you'll know pretty quick, well, what do I most desire? Well, that's where your heart's going to want to invest your life. What do I most fear? Well, then your heart's going to go the other direction from those things. What is of greatest value and worth? Your heart's going to sing with that. Oh, that's what you most like. That's what you most want. And so just thinking about this, you can run a diagnostic. And again, diagnostics aren't hard, but they're painful, right, in life. And so as you run this diagnostic I'm about to take us through, man, your heart's going to tell you instantly. Now, the bummer is we're at church. If this was a non-church friend asking you this question, you might respond a little differently. At church, you might go, oh, I know the church answer. Don't do the church answer. Do your real answer. In your heart, what you know. So here's the diagnostic. Ask yourself something like this. What do I most think about on a daily basis? I wake up in the morning and my mind goes here. What do I most think about? What do I most talk about? What do I most brag about? What do I most worry about? What do I most... Hope for? What do I become most angry regarding? What do I get most excited about? Most happy about? I mean, what are those things? Because again, you know, we know. Because they're like a hobby, right? We just love them. How about fill in these blanks? If I just had more blank. Life would be so much better. This country needs blank to get it back on track again. As long as my kids have blank, they will be successful. If I could have just one more thing in life, it would be blank. I mean, just think about those blanks, because here's what I bet. You've already filled them in before. 
you've said them at some point, you've thought them, you've had a dialogue with a friend or your spouse or whatever it is, and, and you filled in those blanks, maybe many times. And sometimes the blanks change. But what do we put in the blanks? Continued inventory. Think about the last 20 posts that you put on Facebook. Now, some of you are like, I've never put 20 posts. Thank you. Um, some of you mean like, that's only like a day's worth, right? So, whatever it is, think about your last 20 posts. Did it in any way make much of Jesus? In your last 50 or 100 posts. Think about your Christmas letter at the end of 2011. Um, it was Jesus' birth. How, how much did our letter reflect making much of him or making much of us? Kids' grades, our job, new house, whatever accomplishments for the year. What, what did it make most of? Are we quick to have conversations about our hobbies, but also quick to avoid conversations about holiness, maybe? Do we get excitable about government or gospel, about recipes or redemption, about music or mission? Is it retirement or righteousness that gets our focus? Is it dating or devotion? Do we say, ah, he's risen, or do we say, hey, I got a raise? Right? These are painful. I took myself through all of this. I did not like my score. It reminded me of high school. Very sad, all right? Ask my close friends, you'll know. All right. The heart doesn't lie. Again, like I said, the heart might be broken, but the heart doesn't lie. So when we take these little tests for ourselves, we go, man, this is probably where I'm at. And this is why Solomon said, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Everything you do, we live from the interior. Again, that's my point. The heart is a scope. It's looking for a vision in life. It's looking for a target to hit. It's looking for something to see and to shoot for. I shoot for that, whatever that is. And so Jesus says, man, be aware because your heart wants to invest you. It desires that above all else. And so I look at this and I go, man, get it and that's me and what drives that well again if it's the heart's like a scope and it has a vision that it seeks then we're really talking about outlook and in life we have one or two outlooks right we have one or two priorities we have one of two investors this is because we have one of two outlooks in verse 22 jesus says your eye is a lamp that provides light for your body when your eye is good your whole body is filled with light but when your eye is bad your whole body is filled with darkness now we look at this we go oh good and bad light and dark those are very stark comparisons but but see when, when jesus is dealing with this he's not so much talking about morality that's where we want to run well those are moral ideas no he's talking about affections he's saying affections that love the world or affections that love the kingdom affections that are bound up in this place or affections that long for something greater in him in the things that he cares about. It's really that simple. And so a good outlook is clear, is simple, is generous, and is content. That's a good outlook. A bad outlook is sick or envious or jealous or discontent. 
Light is about freedom. It's about illumination. It's about insight. Darkness, frustration, ignorance, irritation. And so all he's really saying is, you have to choose. Do you want a clear perspective or a clouded perspective? That's it. I mean, this is what I love. He just says, it's one or the other. And whichever one, clear perspective, he says, live it. If it's a clouded perspective, you're just going to live it by default. You can't help it. Because to live clear, light, truth, good for Jesus, man, that is a challenge. It's just a challenge. Because there's so much cool stuff here. There's so many things to treasure up. So many experiences and relationships and information bits and the list could go on and on. And so we just have to go, well, what's our vision? What's our uh, sight on life? In fact, this week I put together a simple little eye chart. We can bring this up right now. There it is. This is a very simple eye chart. Right? And this is really what Jesus is talking about. He's saying, hey man, if you want to have one particular priority, which is the kingdom, and you want to have one investor, which is a heart toward the kingdom, and you want to make sure your outlook is toward the kingdom, then your vision is going to look like this right here. Right? The cross, Christ, the gospel is first. Charity and love flow from all of that. Then I want you to notice, though, in the rest of this, man, there's all kinds of cool, fun stuff under there. But notice where money falls. Far bottom. Now, money can do all those other things, and that's totally great. And you should enjoy all of that. As long as money stays in its proper perspective, you're fine. As long as money is there to make the other joys of life happen, but you're not bound up in that or the other joys, you're good. I'm good. And that's a good eye. That's good vision. But then there's another eye chart. And this one's a little bit different. You can bring that next one up. There it is. And, and, and again, you're going to look at that and go, oh, well, this is again about a love of money. No, it's not. It's realizing that money can do things. So you may say, I don't love money, but I like things. Or I don't like things, but I like experiences. Or I just like security. I'm tired of worrying about money. That's still this. You go, I'm worried about my needs. That's still this. I suffer from that. I suffer from worry and anxiety about different things. I mean, especially for the last few years. What a weird thing. Money and kingdom were radically tied for me. And I would worry often, is the money going to be there to do kingdom? How dumb am I? created all this anxiety in my own life, all this sleeplessness, because I was looking at the world like this eye chart, where the money, the dollar, was going to be what gave me what I needed, wanted, hoped, desired, or kept me from what I feared. Right? That's, again, our challenge. Now, again, all the icons are the same between the two charts. We're just talking, again, about priority what we most focus on. In fact, you can bring both up because, again, they're designed for comparison. And you can see, you can start comparing the charts. All the stuff is the same. It's just arranged differently. Which hopefully gives you some encouragement. What this message is not is saying, hey, if you have stuff, get rid of stuff. What it's saying is, if you have too deep an affection to stuff, or you have too deep of an affection to the lack of stuff. 
if you're discouraged because you don't have, and you'll be encouraged if you do have. Again, all of that is alerting us to the fact that we are maybe a little too, too tethered, too connected to wrong things in wrong ways. And so we have to ask the question, do I want to use this chart to use all my stuff to amass heavenly treasures, or do I want to live by this chart, which is just to amass earthly treasures, and that's it? And it stops. It would stop right there. That's how we can do it. You say, well, how do I know? I mean, how do I know where my heart is? Here's a couple of verses that stuck out to me this week. Ecclesiastes 5.10, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. Duh! Right? Now you may go, I'm, I'm, I'm satisfied, but really, I mean, how often we think, you know, if we just had a little bit more, we're never quite satisfied. Nobody ever sits down with their boss and their boss says, we're giving you a raise and go, nope, I'm good. Keep it. We're good. Now, again, and you're like, idiot. You know I mean? It's like, um, you, may, you may say, I don't need it, but I'll take it. It'd be great. And that's totally cool if the heart isn't, well, I just, I'm not satisfied with what I have or what I don't have. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 9, Paul wrote, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and shameful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. And a lot of people look at this and say, oh, those who are rich fall into temptation. No, it's those who desire to be rich. And you go, well, again, I don't desire to be rich. I just desire to be comfortable. That's called rich in the New Testament. It is. You know what rich in the New Testament was? Uh, You had food for a couple of days. You had more than one tunic. You actually had a home. Right? That's rich. We're rich as Americans. Now, there's some that are obviously richer than others. No harm in that. Nothing wrong with that, especially if it was handled in an honorable and honest way. That's great. There's no sin in being rich at all. There's no sin in having things at all. But if our desire is to be that, that's where he says you might enter into some temptations. And, and some of those temptations are not moral. We always look at that like, oh, you're going to do immoral things. You're going to steal. You're going to lie. You're going to cheat. No, it may not be that. It may just mean that you get discouraged or depressed because you wish you could do more, have more, provide more, whatever. You just get down because you don't have. There's no contentment. See, if we struggle with contentment, then we are desiring more. And again, our reasons can be very noble in heart. Like, again, I just want to be a provider. I just want my kids to have this. Things that I didn't have. I get that. I'm a parent. I say the same thing, and I'm dumb for it sometimes. Because, again, then it starts making me go, ah, I'm not a good enough provider. I'm not a good enough dad. I didn't make this happen. Like, that kid, he's going to, like, Disney World seven times this year, you know? My kid, here's a blow-up pool, you know? So, sorry, kids. Can't take you to Disneyland, but daddy will blow that up. With his own mouth, all right? So, because that's what I can do. Right? Whatever it is. Paul says, man, don't fall into that. It's not a healthy place to go. It's not a healthy place to be at all, right? Because what that does for us as Christians is bring up this next slide. It creates wonky vision, right? It just creates wonky vision. Where we're like, I want to focus on heaven and I want to focus on earth and I want to do it for the kingdom, but I want to also do it for me. And we're trying to do both. 
We're trying to do both. And here's what Jesus says. He says, man, you can't do both. Verse 23, and if the light that you think you have is actually darkness, how deep the darkness is. He says, it's nice that you want to do this. Can't do that. Trying to do this, trying to make the balance, trying to say that my darkness is light just really, in the end, makes you double-visioned. Double-visioned. And James kind of deals with this. He says, Do not waver, for a person who is divided in their loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord, for their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything they do. See, this is just double vision. And you know what we sometimes do to deal with double vision? We do what movies do. They give us movies in double vision, and then they give us these cool glasses. This is like Tom Cruise with giant shades, all right? So, and they say, see, it's 3D. Well, yeah, look at that. I could almost grab it because it's 3D. No, it isn't. It's double vision. It's blurry. You pull them off, you go, wait, it's double, it's blurry. That's not a good movie. And the world says, just put the shades back on. Look at the 3D. Yeah. Right? And then we're, we're chasing the illusion. I'm going to grab the stick. I'm going to grab the fireball coming from a giant battleship. I'm going to, you know, like, I'm going to do this. And, and we try to pretend that we're seeing the world enriched when really it's just blurry. Double vision. And so Jesus lovingly is doing us a favor by saying, you know what, don't get sucked into this. It's so easy to get sucked in, but don't get sucked into those things. Because ultimately, in thinking you're doing this, and thinking you're putting on the shades, and it's all good, really in the end, it's just looking at the world. Our eyes are firmly planted on loving treasures here now. And so Jesus' words to me... Are, are painful, but at the same time, they are radically freeing. They're freeing. Because he goes a step deeper, he says, here's, here's the real problem, right? At the core, we're talking about the fact that you were enslaved somehow. Which is why he then says in verse 24, no one can serve two masters. He says, sure, there's two treasures and two hearts and, you know, all of this stuff, but really it comes down to two masters, we love to think that we are the masters of our own destiny. Again, that's another lie the world has told us. We are masters of nothing. We are mastered by one of two masters. It's that simple. Now, I know we don't think that way. We think, no, 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 no. Uh, the world is a bull. And I'm going to take it by the horns. Well, let me show you the way we think about this and then reality. So here's our bull. Go, all right, I'm going to take that bull by the horns. Bring up that next slide. Look at me taking my bull. With my ice cream dish. Um, that guy's really taking the bull. We think that's the bull. And we think we can manage the bull. And we can wrestle the bull. And we can ride the bull. But here's the reality. Here's the real bull. That's the bull. And here's what it looks like when we take the bull by the horns. Isn't he cute? Right? That's us. If we think we can just take the bull by the horns in life. And we can ride it and drive it. And we can command it. We can't. Especially if we think we can. We just can't do that. Jesus said, man, you're going to serve somebody. Dylan said, you're going to serve somebody too. Right? One of the masters. One or the other. And so, what we really have to come to grips with is, then what do I place over me? 
as my authority. Because Jesus says it's one authority or the other. And so one authority is right here. Right? I say, I'm going to place myself under the authority of Christ. I'm going to place myself under the authority of his word, under the authority of his gospel. And from that, there is freedom. From that, there is joy. From that, there is confidence. From that, there's a sense of man. No matter what happens, God's in control. I'm good. This is good authority. This is freeing authority. This is a master who loves you. This is a master who says, I died for you to be your master. That is a good master. And so Jesus says, man, let me be your master. Let me be the authority, your head, for the good of your life. That's what we should pursue, but sometimes we don't. We choose a different master, a different authority. I got to go get this really quick. It's so cool. I know everybody's going to want to buy one of these because you're going to be like, man, I cannot live without that. I don't like that it's a master, but it's so cool. This is your other master right here. Look at that. That's how we roll. Always looking to get. Always. Come on, I'm going to get it. I'm going to get it. I'm going to get Come to daddy. Come to daddy. Come to daddy, right? This is what we do. And, and then sometimes we go, well, I can do both. I can do both. I can do both. We can't do both because one's always leading. And the difference between this master and this master is this one's wonky. But this one, I can never catch. I can never catch. So I want the American dream. I, I want to be happy all the time. I want no problems in life. I just come to daddy, right? Doesn't work. Doesn't work. Yep. How Pastor Matt uses his Sunday, Saturday evenings, right? There, yes. But that's what we do. That is life. So we choose our authority, right? Why? Because Jesus says, can't serve two masters. Can't wear the helmet and be under this authority. Just can't. Because ultimately, you will... Have loyalty to one and not the other. Isn't that exactly what he says there in verse 24? For you will hate one, you'll love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon. Now when he says there, you're going to love one and hate the other, um, it's an idiom. It's like, I love jello and hate pudding. I don't mean, I passionately hate pudding and I love jello. Right? We know it's just, it's, it's just a phrase. And, and what Jesus is getting at is, again, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna favor one over the other. You're going to put more time and energy and focus and passion into one than the other. You're going to fear one more than the other. One's going to threaten you. I'm going to take this away from you. And you're going to fear that one more than this one. Jesus says it's just in our nature. Because we're wed to this world. And in this case, he says it is the master who is God or the master who is mammon. And there's a lot of gods in this world. There's a lot of idols. There's a lot of things. But mammon is really simple. He looks like this. Let's bring up this next slide right there. Mammon. You know what the word mammon literally means? It's an Aramaic word. It means this. That which one trusts. That which one trusts. That's all it means. 
You go, no, 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 it's about money, it's about greed, it's about being rich and wealthy. No, it's not. It's about what we trust. That's mammon. The challenge in this world is we trust this sometimes more. We hope in money more than we hope in God. When life gets really bad, we are quick to go, how can the bank solve it versus how can Jesus solve it? When we look at our country, we go, what's the way forward for our country? How quick we say the economy is the first thing. I thought Jesus was the first thing. This wins. Now, what's odd about Mammon, what he does, and I believe more in mockery than anything else, is he does us a favor on the backside. You can bring that up. And in little print, he says, in God we trust. What's interesting is on the $100 bill, 100 is referred to 10 times, and God gets a tithe of one. So it's 100, 100, 100, 100, and in writing 100, you flip it, 100, 100, 100, 100, 100. God, we trust. And it seems pretty apropos that I think uh, for every 10 times we trust in money, we one time trust in God. For every time we say God is what's going to heal our nation, ten times we say a better economy is going to heal our nation. For every one time we say God needs to be the center of fixing our family, ten times we say if I just made more money, it would fix my family. I mean, we have to be boldly, brutally honest with ourselves. This is our problem. It is a battle of almighties. The almighty dollar and the almighty God. Right? Right? That's what we call it. The almighty dollar. The omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent dollar. And it's true. Money is in everything. Money's in sex. Money's in politics. Money's in marriage. Money's in our kids. Money is in our hopes and our dreams and our future and everything we wish for. It invades. It is omni, almighty. Unless we say, no, it's, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't want it to be Almighty. I don't want it to be the thing in which I trust. Because again, what is mammon? The thing in which we trust. Where's our hope? Where's our faith? Do we trust money for security or do we trust Jesus? I mean, it's fascinating. You even think about the the major movements in our world that have said this will bring security. The communists came and they said, well, you know what? This is going to bring security because we take the wealth and we give it to everybody. And then socialists came, and they said, no, no, we're going to do it different, and, and, and we're going to distribute the money a little bit different, but it goes to everybody. And then the capitalists, we go, well, we're going, to, we're going to make sure we can keep our own, and that's the best way to do it, because all of these things are going to be the best way for humanity. And yet Jesus says, that all works great, whichever one you want to choose. That works fine, as long as there's no bugs or water or thieves. Right? Every system suffers under the weight of a sinful world. None of them will save us. None of them is our supreme hope. Our security is not in that stuff. Mammon doesn't offer security. Do we trust in mammon for ourselves? Because again, you know, that's partly like saying I want God and I want an idol. I'm going to trust God, but I'm going to trust stuff. And we start kind of thinking about how we break down the list. Well, the creed goes to God, but the commitment goes to mammon. The tongue goes to God, but the time goes to mammon. Faith goes to God, but hope goes to mammon. Spirituality goes to God, but security goes to mammon. As long as my checking account is good, I'm good. As long as my job's secure, I'm secure. 
As soon as those things are at risk, I'm freaking out. Right? I know this stuff hits close to home. I don't say it judgmentally. I say it again as one who is guilty. As one who is guilty. It's hard. What about our kids? I mean, as parents, where do we place our trust? Do we honestly look at our lives and go, you know what? Here, here's what's going to suit them more. I've I got to make sure they get this or they get this. Like, which thing do we go, man, if my child doesn't get this, it's over. And how much do we go, if my child doesn't get this, it's over. How much do we spend hours on this versus hours on this? How much do we actually go, I'm going to be embarrassed if they don't get this versus I'm going to be embarrassed if they don't get this? How much do we pay for memorizing this and how much do we pay for accomplishing this? I've got a few of these now. Big stink. Big stink in the long run. You know, all it takes is a well-placed weapon from a terrorist, and this doesn't matter, but suddenly this does. All of this takes is a marriage that starts to be in crisis, and this isn't going to save a marriage, but this can. Right? So all of the bad stuff of life, this will not heal it. But this does. So my concern is, again, our priorities. What do we trust in? And if we trust it, we do it. And if we don't do it, we don't trust it. It's that easy. I mean, I think about it with my own kids, how much I focus on, make sure you're doing your homework, make sure you're getting good grades, make sure you're thinking about a college. That's nice. In fact, if anything, I'm hoping they all do really well so they can make a lot of money, so they can have a lot of stuff, so they can have a lot of anxiety. Dumbest parental move ever. But again, we go, no, 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 that's going to make their life easier and more comfortable and everything else. Man, I've been doing pastoring gig for 20 years, doing a lot of counseling, and I guarantee you the richest ones and the poorest ones are in the same boat if they love this world. Right? It doesn't take long to go through the news and say, hey, there's a guy that was a famous athlete. He killed himself. Hey, there's a guy who was a famous musician. He killed himself. Hey, there's those people in Hollywood. They're getting divorced for the third time. Hey, there's their kids all strung out on drugs. I guess fame and fortune and all the treasures of this world doesn't fix. And on the flip, I see poor people that go, man, I'm so depressed. I'm so discouraged. I'm so poor. I don't like it. I can't do anything. I'm just, I don't feel good about myself. And they're sucked into money because they don't have it. It's all the same. It doesn't matter how much you have. It matters where your affections are. What do we trust? What do we trust in? This is where I bring it back and I close with this, which means we are not going to finish where I want to go today. But it's a good stopping point. Because it drills us down to who is the master. We are all slaves. We're slaves. We either enslave ourselves to a master who does not love us, but lies to us often. Or we bond ourselves to a master who said, I am so committed to your good. I gave myself for you. And I gave myself for you so that I could come and I could live with you and I could reside in you. And I could free you from that anxiety. I could free you from that worry. I could free you from all of that need, all of that love of this world that is not going to pay off either in this life or the life to come. It's not going to pay off. It'll leave you chastened with a helmet and a carrot on it. I don't want you to be under the authority of a helmet with a carrot. 
He says, I want you to be under my authority of grace, of love, of forgiveness. He says, I want you to live crucified and risen with me. Because here's the crazy thing in life. Uh, Most of life is lived uh, crucified between two other thieves, which is either regret from yesterday or worry for tomorrow. And Jesus says, man, you shouldn't live there in yourself that way, right? I can free regret and I can deal with worry. But you have to let me be master. You have to let me be master. And from that, to say, you know what? I have one priority. It's an eternal one. With an eternally good Savior. Let's pray together. Jesus, I thank you for your grace I thank you for honesty. I mean, I I look at all this and go, man, you are brutally honest and it is so good. And I confess to you, I confess that Jesus, no matter how much I want to not be sucked into this world, I'm sucked in. And no matter how much I don't want anxiety, I have anxiety. And no matter how much I say I don't want to be a wanter, I'm a wanter. And so I confess my sin. I confess that I don't look at how I can take all of life always and leverage it for your kingdom. Sometimes it's just for me, for my wife, for my kids, for us, for now. And yet I pray that instead there would be this conscious desire to walk in your spirit in such a way that all of that is leveraged for your kingdom, for your gospel, for your goodness, for your worship. That I would use my job not only as a pastor, but just in this community for the advancement of your kingdom. That my kids, as they go to school, that they would go to school to give you glory, to share your gospel, so they learn, so they can give you glory. When they think about going off to school or not going to school, making a living down the road, that they look at that and say, how can I leverage that for the kingdom, not just simply for my comforts? And then from that boy, you bless. Jesus, I thank you that there's not sin in having. There's not sin in having much. There is sin in loving much more than you. There is sin in loving anything more than you. And so we confess, we seek, and we thank you that you give what we need. We praise you and thank you in your awesome name.